bookish and, and I assume anyone um, buying your book or listening to this will, will be pretty bookish but that idea of, of where books perhaps give you that map uh, for, your, for your life as you're saying that, that that's particularly at college and perhaps just after before you mm-hmm. perhaps found that identity you're um, you're getting that kind of structure from from characters and books and yes. tend to be those but very the, much this this scene which I really liked is perhaps um, it's one of the pivotal scenes in the book I think where Victor ends up in a bar in France mm-hmm. and bad, you know unsurprisingly as I don't realize what a cruel person you are bad things, <laughs> bad things happen to him but I just I, I don't know if you I'm just going to rename the book bad things bad things happen to him Victor. <laughs> um, I just really like this that sort of passage there but it's it's that. The bartender leaned on the opposite end of the bar, reading a newspaper, occasionally looking up at the TV just to piss himself off. And then the men gathered themselves, slid out of their booth, and swished right out the door. The TV seemed louder, as did the sound of the bartender turning the page of his newspaper. Victor was relieved. Since his discovery of what Johanna's necklace really was, he felt his mind slowly splitting. Half of him lived in Guy de Maupassant's world, a world of books and pet parrots and peals of female laughter. And half of him lived in the immediate practicalities of how to make his journey last and get to the chateau. He preferred Guy's world. Perhaps it was because of this remove from reality that Victor experienced the following events as a kind of heart-racing dance with one step following the other as if choreographed. He's about to get his... The shit kicked out yes, of him. Yes, the shit. I didn't know if I should say ass. No, <laughs> He's about to get the shit kicked out of him. Yes. Um, by those men who I said the men swished and, and left the bar and then they swished right back in the bar. And But did it, does that does that shine for you, that, that time of, of life where books meant so much, where, um, as you were saying earlier, the, the sort of, uh, whether it's Noah Bam- Bombach films mm-hmm. or, uh, or Guy de Maupassant, whatever it would be, uh, Richard Russo... Uh, that we take our lead from, and at some point, suddenly you find yourself, as you say, whether you're still getting drunk at eleven in the morning or right. you've got a small child. We, we, we separate them. I mean, because for for so long, and this is maybe just a chronological issue. Like, so for so long, the characters in books are older than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? For so, so I read White Noise, amazing, you know. But I, I look at them. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's one of my favorite books, but. I look at the marriage and white noise and the relationships and white noise, and I thought, oh, that's what adults do. Adults are I'm doing this. Right now. Oh, really? <laughs> you are? Yeah. Oh, it's so wonderful. Um, and have you read his other stuff? Or? I have, yeah, yeah. yeah no, oh, I've... God, he's so wonderful. Um, but even, even college age is, is older than us for so long, and so it's separate, and you think, oh, that's what, that's what that world is. And you can see yourself somewhere on the sort of spectrum of that world. Um, and then while you're not looking, you've moved down the spectrum, and you think, oh, these are characters about, you know, the time period I'm living in, or the job I'm having, or the relationship I'm in, and you realize that you can't keep on looking to the books, you actually have to look to the person next to you for guidance. Is there, was there a book for you, it's a slightly Paris Review question, I always check with people. Um, That's okay. Was there a (laughs) book that made you want to, to either to, to, to be a reader or to be, to be a writer? To be a reader, probably. I actually have, a, I have an answer to this Good. question, which is I'm not even I'm not I'm not even have to fish very far for it. If there's a real answer, um, is probably Dubliners, oh. um, because I remember reading it or being taught in a class in, in eighth or ninth grade, maybe. So you're you're 14, maybe. Wow. Um, 
But I don't think, I don't know, I don't think Dubliners is too advanced. It's not like we were reading Ulysses, which if anyone tells you they've read the whole thing, is lying. <laughs> uh, but, but <laughs> that's a lie. Finnegan's Wake, maybe. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so, so um, no, but, but we were reading uh, Dubliners, and do you know the short story, Araby? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so well, the story, just for those who, who don't know, um, is... Uh, I mean, the gist of it is a kid who has a thing for his older next-door neighbor, and he wants to know if she's going to this fair called Araby, and, and she says that she's not going, but he should bring her back something. So he's so excited by this mission, you know, that he's been sent on. He thinks about it a lot. He goes to the fair. He wanders around all day, and then he sees, I think it's like a blue vase or something like that that might be perfect. And the woman manning the stall is talking to two other gentlemen and laughing with them, and he sort of clears his throat. She stops to come help him, and, you know, gives him this big wide smile, just like his neighbor did, and says, what can I help you with? And he says, never mind, and walks away. And to me, it was so apparent, um, even as a kid, that what had happened in the story is he realized that, realizes that the other girl that he really loves was just humoring him, just the way this woman at the stall is humoring him. And it's this sort of, like, terrible awakening for him mm. about, you know, relationships and women in this one moment where he chooses not to buy this vase. In a way, actually, structurally, it actually reminds me of the necklace. Mm, in, in, in a way, it has a... Has a it, it's got a much... Uh, the twist is more quiet, I would say. It's yeah, a it's twist. deflation. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. This is how the world will end. Not with a bang, but with a whimper, you know? It's sadder. But, um, exactly. Um, and our teacher said, so sometimes these James Joyce stories mean nothing. They're just a slice of life. And I felt that you're wrong. And mm -hmm. so it was the first time I felt um, a sense of debate with my teacher um, and therefore a sense of engagement with the short story. Because nothing, even socially, nothing unites two people like hating a third person, right? Mm -hmm. So I felt like the, the, the story and I were sort of in the shit together. Okay. <laughs> Fighting with And you. both of us looking at this sort of terrible analysis, this sort of misguided analysis of the story. I mean, it wasn't, she wasn't... Um, I mean, we were, she designed the reading. I mean, she, she wasn't she wasn't saying anything bad about Joyce, but it just was wrong. Um, and so I feel like that was the first time I really fell in love with the idea that reading was not just something you were assigned. It could be something for, for you. Um, and in terms of writing, I think maybe the first time I ever thought of writing a story or a novel... I mean, I'd written stories for my parents and stories for other people. I mean, mm -hmm. I think because I eventually became a comic novelist and a comic essayist uh, anyone who does any kind of comedy from stand-up to sort of like dry on the paper humor will tell you that it was to entertain people you know to to curry favor kind of that's mm. why you're funny um but then the first time i would thought oh i would love to write a story was probably the secret garden okay <laughs> doesn't um, get any better than that oh gosh that is a mind-blowing book it still is oh it's so sad Oh, I know what it's well, that's the other side of comedy, isn't it? I mean, of course, part of American writers, both of whom are on the podcast, um, and they're very funny, but there's a kind of darkness. Is your writing certainly at this point feels different in that it, there's an exuberance and there's a sadness, particularly through the characters. Well, all the characters, but Victor particularly. Thank you. But, but it does feel like it's coming from a this is, this is a social satire. Like I loved all the little observations. Uh, uh, air kissing rampage was, I think, one of my favourite phrases of the year. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I like combative typing. So there's that kind of that sort of joyfulness in kind of observation. Did feel like it's coming from a, a sort of fizzier, lighter place rather than, a, or is there a darkness? There's there's a little bit of both, I suppose. But I mean, I think it comes from a, a fizzier 
lighter place because I think the darkness will come naturally. Um, you know, especially with the format of the class. I mean, you you have a love triangle, so not everybody wins. It's musical chairs, you know, um, or they win in different ways. <laughs> I mean, I mean, unless it's a French novel, I don't Everybody, they all end up together. <sighs> it's called the Dreamers. <laughs> but then, but I'm also, you know, a naturally nostalgic person, um, and of course, there's a bit of a, a sad streak in it, um, and there are very sort of real questions about. Yes, social questions about culture and class and um, history and literary history in the book. Um, mm. But I also feel like I want to write something that's fun. I mean, I don't think that that's so terrible. I mean, a trollop seemed to do okay with it. Like, I mean, I just, or, or, or just, I want, I guess, Is to entertain. Almost- I mean, it's not going to, listen, there's a reason why comedic actresses never win the mm. Oscar, right? And comedic novels never win the National Book Award. Um, but what you get in exchange is to genuinely entertain people. Yes, it was meant to be fizzy. There's a certain degree with your, I don't read your blurbs back at you, because that's very much also the, blurb, <laughs> the blurbists. You see yourself as a kind of more popular writer or can you can you mix the two a little bit do you think I think I mix the two a little bit I mean I think when you said like darkly comic novels I think that's true like I think that um, for instance Sam Lipsight if you know mm, his work sure. uh, Homeland and The Ask should be he's a cult writer and I'm sure he does fine um, but he should be much more famous than he is same thing with Jim Shepard mm. these people are, are you know even David Rykoff should sure. have David Sedaris's fame you know they, but there's something where they've just taken a sort of out there, darker risk. I mean, Sam Lipside especially. I mean, the jokes are very dark. Um, but I I didn't really see myself as a humor writer until I, when I handed in, I was told there'd be cake. It's not that I didn't think they were funny. I just never, I wasn't aiming for that. Mm. Um, which is probably when you end up writing your funniest things because it's a bit dry, you know, you do it accidentally almost. Um, and then the back of the book, just of how it's shelved, you know, the same way you look at the back of any book, and it might say, you know, history or, you know, the political science or whatever, the way it's shelved, it said essays backslash humor. And I thought, oh, thanks. But <laughs> it's that- like a little, little categorization that I don't think of. I know this is a comic novel, but I don't think of myself as a strictly comedic writer. Okay. I don't, I don't is know. that a slight way to perhaps get out? Is fiction a way perhaps to sort of slightly get out of that um, not being pigeonholed exactly mm-hmm. but if once as you say once you start being labelled by the people there are expectations about mm-hmm. the kind of stuff and also you know if you're writing essays whether for, pub- for publication in a magazine or, or in a book um, there might yeah there's perhaps more control that can be exerted upon you there is there's control and there's a reason you know you know you have to um it is a job at a certain point I know that's not glamorous but you know it's a great Dorothy Parker bit where she said, you know, someone said like, "Why do you write?" and she's like, "For money, dear." Mm. <laughs> um, but but there is a um, so you know when I'm writing an article for a magazine, yes, it'll be the best article I could possibly write about like the anniversary of the Girl Scouts, which is something I wrote about. Yes, it will be the best version of that I could possibly write. But I know it's not high art in the same way. Um, but for the novel, yeah, you can make a different character. I mean, the whole point is to give them different qualities than than you have and so 
not only are you not getting punished for not making someone uproariously funny or in mm. a good mood or just like you, you get rewarded for making them not just like you. So it's it's actually it's freeing in that way. I mean, it's a lot. It's a big job, but it's it's nice. That's interesting. Is, is there a way when you say not like you and free? Is was there a way that whether this was a deliberate, you know? project on your part or, or this is a result of it has it moved you somewhere else has writing this this book changed the way that you write changed your voice and perhaps pushed you into other areas whether that's to write more novels right. or you know the screen my play. album of ukulele music the album of uke- <laughs> the video game the video game yeah um you know i i mean i'm gonna go back to essays after this okay. i've been working on essays it's interesting because I think people, a lot of people like my first book better than the second book, I think. I like the second book better, but, you know, what do I know? <laughs> I just, um, because I find that maybe my humor is getting slightly darker, but the tr- trick is to not make it cynical darker. You know, to still have... I like the fizziness. I like the tap, mm. dance, tap dancing. You know, I like that, that quality. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that... My concern, to be frank, is that I still write essays like I always have in a lot of ways, and I wonder. I was just thinking about this the other day, but this is this is not my therapy session. But I was just thinking, I was like, oh, I wonder if I've even matured. I mean, because in a certain way, I I look at the novel, and I, yes, I consider it a mature novel, and it's a whole novel, and it's real, and hopefully people would you know like it and read it if I hadn't written it or whatever. But. Um, when people keep coming back to me saying, oh, it's, it, it, it captures this millennial phase, I think no part of me occurred, and it didn't occur to me that it was millennial, as I mentioned, mm. but clearly 37-year-old me is writing like a child. <laughs> so in a strange way, I'm like wondering, um, I don't know how the essays will change after having written this novel, mm. um, but it's I don't know we'll see but that's the weird thing about writing isn't it is that you know you sit down you you think superficially you're doing the same things you always did and then suddenly you're writing you know monsters invading Manhattan well I did my first um the first stuff I ever wrote in college was real bloodbath murder mystery Brady Stinella stuff um and everybody was dying and it was just some like thieves had come through town it was just it was an insane story and I handed it to her, and she said, can I see you after class, after everyone had been dismissed? And I thought, this is so good, she's going to call the police. <laughs> that's how That's how realistic it is. I mean, I apparently know just what it's like when someone gets their arm chopped off. Great. Um, and she said, um, she's a southern accent, which I won't imitate, but you can just imagine the charm of it. And she had the story on her desk, and she said, okay. She said, somebody up there gave you something but you have no idea what to do with it. And she slid the story across the table, and she goes, this isn't it. <laughs> so I'm not going to be the next. Uh, this is not. Exactly, exactly. No Karen Slaughter for you. Here you go. And um, she was right. And I, I started writing. Maybe I was still writing like other people or trying, obviously not. If I was really writing like Laurie Moore, we'd, we'd be on easy street. But um, just attempting, you know, until I found, I mean, I certainly have... Uh, a little bit more DNA with her, uh, hopefully, than with, um, you know, Philip K. Dick or with, you know, James Patterson. Now, a, a huge limousine has just turned up outside to take you to your next engagement. Huge limousine. So if there was one, <laughs> what next? There's more essays. Will there be another novel? Yes, I think so. I have an idea for one, but okay. I, uh, not for a while. So the writing one. This is like Haley's comment. Hasn't put you off just yet. <laughs> no, 
No, in fact, I want to do I, I want to do it better. So just another vi- you always use another vineyard. Press a whiskey. Yes, a whiskey distillery. Time. Oh my gosh, some some quality time in Kentucky. I never thought I'd wish for that. Um, yes. I just want to say thank you very much for flying all the way over just for this podcast. Just for this podcast. Just for this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Thank you.